I'm Bishop Robert Gruss, the Bishop of the Diocese of Rapid City. In late May of 2015, the Diocese of Rapid City began an envisioning process meant to assist in clearly defining a course for ministry for the diocese for the next three to five years. The outcome of this process would help to strengthen and focus the resources of the diocese so that more effective ministry could be carried out in building up the church in western South Dakota. From this planning process came the Diocesan Priority Plan, outlining a carefully defined mission statement to serve as a foundation. It also produced a set of core values that guides how we conduct ourselves as a diocese, a five-year vision statement to direct our plans, three major priorities for the diocese with supporting goals, and goals for the foundational ministries of the church in western South Dakota. In July of 2016, I completed a pastoral letter entitled, Through Him, With Him, and In Him, A Spiritual Guide to the Diocesan Priority Plan. This document clearly defines the priority plan, and I have invited and encouraged everyone in the diocese to read and fully engage this pastoral plan so that, as our sacred mission states, each of us can do our part in attracting and forming intentional disciples who joyfully, boldly, and lovingly proclaim and live the mission of Jesus Christ leading to eternal life. What you are about to hear is a reading from Through Him, With Him, and In Him, a spiritual guide to the diocesan priority plan. Chapter 12, Our Foundational Ministries. I begin with a reading from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own, unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. In the planning process, three primary pastoral priorities were determined, but there are other ministries which are part of the everyday work of the diocese in carrying out the church's mission, known as foundational ministries. These include the different areas of ministry which are common in every diocese to help build up the body of Christ. The priority plan as a whole will also impact these ministries, which are part of the ongoing work of the local church. Foundational ministries allow us to carry out the sacred mission of the diocese of attracting and forming intentional disciples who joyfully, boldly, and lovingly proclaim and live the mission of Jesus Christ leading to eternal life. These five foundational ministries include sacraments and worship, education and formation, governance and finance, social services and outreach, and vocations and evangelization. As you will notice, there is an intimate connection between the foundational ministries and the three pastoral priorities outlined in this pastoral plan. As the pastoral plan is implemented, many of the people responsible for the various foundational ministries will also have the responsibility of ensuring that the priorities and goals in the plan which are closely linked to their area of ministry are completed. The top priorities of the diocese in this pastoral plan will shape and focus ministry in these areas for the next three to five years. As stated earlier, these top priorities of the diocese will also affect the ongoing ministry in every parish so that we as a diocese can move forward in the same direction with the same focus. 
We will now examine each of these foundational ministries and their goals. Sacraments and Worship A reading from John's Gospel, chapter 4. But the hour is coming and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed the Father seeks such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. This is one of the most important areas of ministry, the ministry which defines us most clearly as Catholics, because life in the Church is essentially sacramental. The sacraments were instituted by Christ and entrusted to the Church. They are the actions of Christ in the Church, thereby standing out as the signs and means by which faith is expressed and strengthened, worship is rendered to God, and the sanctification of humankind is effected. Thus they contribute in the highest degree to the establishment, strengthening, and manifestation of ecclesial communion. Therefore both the sacred ministers and the Christian faithful must employ the greatest reverence and due care in their celebration. The saving words and deeds of Jesus Christ are the foundation of what he communicates in the sacraments. These words and deeds are communicated to the ministers of the church. The church recognizes the existence of seven sacraments instituted by the Lord himself. They are the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, the sacraments of healing, penance, and the anointing of the sick, and the sacraments at the service of communion, marriage, and holy orders. Although this foundational ministry includes all of the sacraments, the very heartbeat of sacraments and worship is the sacred liturgy, the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. As the fathers of the Second Vatican Council wrote in the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, quote, The liturgy is the summit toward which the activity of the Church is directed. At the same time, it is the font from which all her power flows. For the aim and object of apostolic works is that all who are made sons of God by faith and baptism should come together to praise God in the midst of His Church, to take part in the sacrifice, and to eat the Lord's Supper. The liturgy, in its turn, moves the faithful, filled with the paschal sacraments, to be one in holiness. It prays that they hold fast in their lives to what they have grasped by their faith. The renewal in the Eucharist of the covenant between the Lord and man draws the faithful into compelling love of Christ and sets them on fire. From the liturgy, therefore, and especially from the Eucharist, as from a font, Grace is poured forth upon us, and the sanctification of men in Christ, and the glorification of God, to which all other activities of the church are directed, as toward their end, is achieved in the most efficacious possible way. End of quote. But in order that the liturgy may be able to produce its full effects, it is necessary that the faithful come to it with proper dispositions, that their minds should be attuned to their voices, and that they should cooperate with divine grace, lest they receive it in vain. Pastors of souls must therefore realize that, when the liturgy is celebrated, something more is required than the mere observation of the laws governing valid and licit celebration. It is their duty also to ensure that the faithful take part fully aware of what they are doing, actively engaged in the rite and enriched by its effects. Through the sacraments, God shares His very life and holiness with us so that we become more clearly the living presence of Christ in the world, thereby making the world holier. The purpose of the sacraments is to sanctify the people of God, to build up the body of Christ, and to give worship to God. The sacraments are signs that instruct us. They not only presuppose faith, 
but by words and objects they also nourish, strengthen, and express faith. They impart grace. The very act of celebrating the sacraments disposes the faithful most effectively to receive this grace in a fruitful manner, leading to the true worship of God and to a life of charity. Therefore it is of the highest importance that the faithful should understand these sacramental signs and should participate frequently in those sacraments which nourish the Christian life. The bishop, as the chief shepherd, is ultimately responsible for the liturgical life of the diocese, ensuring that the liturgy is celebrated properly, with reverence and integrity. Since it is impossible for the bishop to always and everywhere preside over the whole flock in his church, he appoints pastors who are responsible for the liturgical life in their parishes. Therefore, the liturgical life of the parish and its relationship to the bishop must be fostered among the faithful and clergy. Efforts must also be made to encourage a sense of community within the parish, especially in the celebration of the Sunday Mass. This foundational ministry falls under the direction and guidance of the Office of Worship. Over the course of the next few years, the main focus in this area is to renew the liturgical life in the diocese. Specific goals include the following. Charter a liturgy commission under the direction of the Office of Worship to renew the liturgical life of the Diocese of Rapid City by September 1, 2016. Implement an evaluation process to measure each parishioner's personal experience of the Mass in their parish by December 1, 2016. The great treasure of the Church is found in her sacramental life because the sacraments draw each of us into a personal, intimate encounter with Jesus if we are present to Him in a conscious way through faith. Full conscious and active participation in our liturgical celebrations is foundational to this encounter. As we are transformed by what we celebrate, so we become more fully the body of Christ, the Church. Education and Formation Reading from the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Come to him a living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When a person is baptized into the Catholic Church, their faith life begins. We receive a new life in Christ whereby we carry this life of Christ within us as we live this relationship with Him. We are reborn as children of God, configured to Christ by an indelible character, and are incorporated in the Church. The seeds of faith are planted, an initial life of faith begins, and the grace of the Holy Spirit is given to us, making us capable of responding to the Lord's initiative of love. For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God has prepared in advance, that we should live in them. It is through this sacrament that our lifelong journey into union in the heart of Christ begins. As we enter into a serious relationship with Christ, he forms us. We are formed through our personal encounters with him in prayer, in the sacramental life of the church, and through ongoing, lifelong religious and spiritual formation. Through our early years, we are put into formal religious education classes so that we can be formed in the Catholic faith. But it seems, at least for most Catholics, the formation process ends after confirmation, graduation from high school, or perhaps college. Unless a person continues to engage in religious or catechetical studies on their own, their formation in the Catholic faith ends. 
Perhaps this is why, according to statistical analysis, only about 7% of the members of the Catholic Church are what the Church refers to as intentional disciples. Perhaps this is why less than 25% of Catholics go to Mass on a regular basis and 50-60% to of baptized Catholics have left the Church. If we are truly to be formed in a Catholic way of life, coming to the full stature of Christ so that we may no longer be spiritual infants, tossed by waves and swept along by every wind of teaching arising from human trickery, we should seek to grow in every way into Christ who is the head. Religious formation must continue throughout the whole of our lives. The United States Catholic Conference of Bishops explains, quote, This formation needs to be addressed to adults at different stages in the development of their faith. Adult catechesis promotes mature adult faith, the faith of the disciple who has been saved by Christ's redemptive love and who is being continually converted to him. Adult catechesis fosters this discipleship by providing a comprehensive and systematic presentation and exploration of the core elements of Catholic faith and practice, a complete initiation into a Catholic way of life. End of quote. Adult catechesis has three major goals. One, it invites and enables adults to acquire an attitude of conversion to the Lord. This attitude views the Christian life as a gradual transformation in Christ in which the Christian takes on the mind of Christ, trusts in the Father's love, accepts the Spirit's guidance in searching out and obeying God's will, and seeks holiness of life within the church. It fosters a baptismal spirituality in which the Christian's faith in Jesus is continuously deepened through participation in the sacraments, the works of charity and justice, and the prayer life of the church. 2. Catechesis for adults helps them to make a conscious and firm decision to live the gift and choice of faith through membership in the Christian community. It fosters active participation in the church as she realizes in families, small faith-based communities, parishes, dioceses, and the communion of saints. It helps adults develop a deeper sense of their cooperation with the Holy Spirit for the mission of the church in the world and for her internal life as well. 3. Catechesis for adults helps them to become more willing and able to be a Christian disciple in the world. It enables adult disciples to accept their rightful place in the church's mission to evangelize, to hear the cry for justice, to promote unity among Christians, and to bear witness to the salvation won by Jesus Christ for all. These three goals are taken from the National Directory for Catechesis. Adult catechesis was of the greatest consideration in creating goals in the area of education and formation. The Office of Faith Formation will be providing opportunities for the formation of catechists and parishioners in a distant learning format. To ensure adequate training for directors of religious education in passing on the faith to our young people, parishes will provide the necessary resources for directors of religious education to complete a certification program for catechists. The Diocesan Director of Faith Formation will be responsible for creating the action plan for each of the goals in this area. Specific goals include provide three to five ongoing opportunities for formation for catechists and parishioners in a distant learning format by January 1, 2017. Directors of Religious Education will complete a certification program at the parish's expense either through the Veritatis Splendor Institute or an approved equivalent program by September 1, 2017. 
Jesus invites each one of us into mature discipleship, where each one of us lives out our call through the power of the Holy Spirit to attract and form intentional disciples who lovingly, joyfully, boldly proclaim and live the mission of Jesus Christ leading to eternal life. This is not just the role of the bishop, priests, and deacons, but is the call of all the baptized. We must first be formed into intentional disciples before we can be instruments of God in helping others grow in their faith. The catechetical formation of adults is essential for the church to carry out the commission given to the apostles by Christ. Governance and Finance I begin with a reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1-7. through 7. I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But the grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The bishop, through his Episcopal consecration, receives the task of teaching, sanctifying, and governing in hierarchical communion with the Holy Father and other members of the Episcopal College. By virtue of his ordination, he is the visible principle and the guarantor of unity in his particular church. In living this call, he assumes the duty of fostering and safeguarding the unity of faith and of upholding the discipline which is common to the whole church. He has the responsibility to educate his flock in a love for the universal church and to work with them to further every aspect of the church's mission. The bishop should never forget the pastoral principle by which, in governing his own particular church well, he contributes to the welfare of the whole people of God, which is a corporate body of churches. In fulfilling his Episcopal ministry in his local church or diocese, his governance should include not only the presbyterate, but all Christians, each according to his or her particular vocation, using the gifts each has received from the Holy Spirit and instilling in them an awareness of their importance in the one mission of the church. In a particular way, the bishop uses the expertise of the laity in coordinating the pastoral ministry of the diocese to ensure that the apostolic work is properly directed and fulfilled. This is achieved through the various pastoral offices of the chancery. The chancery offices exist to faithfully serve the people of God in western South Dakota by providing administrative oversight to those departments and personnel which assist the bishop in the governance of the diocese. It is also the responsibility of the bishop to ensure that all the human and temporal resources of the diocese are utilized efficiently, effectively, and responsibly. Assistance for this is also provided by those who have expertise in these areas and work closely with the bishop in his role of governance. Some of the areas in which the bishop might receive such assistance would include finance and accounting, insurance, buildings and maintenance, technology and communication. Two important areas of administrative concern were identified in the development of the pastoral priority plan and the foundational areas of ministry. One. Because parishes in the Diocese of Rapid City operate as a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, specific operational procedures are required by the state. This includes the establishment of a corporate board with board oversight. The goal is to provide education for pastors, board members, and others who are in positions of parish leadership so that each parish can meet the requirements determined by state and church law. 2. 
We live in a world in which the use of technology is important in every facet of society. It is being used in many ways to assist in the everyday operations of organizations on a global scale. The impact of technology in the world is immeasurable and changing constantly. It provides easy access to information, encourages innovation and creativity, dramatically improves the way we communicate, and facilitates learning in incalculable ways. Therefore, if the Diocese of Rapid City is to keep up with the modernity in its use of technology, we need to create a communication strategy that will allow us to embrace this technological age so that our ministries may be enhanced and utilized to their fullest potential. In the area of governance and finance, the bishop and members of his chancery staff will be responsible for creating the action plan for each of the goals in this area. Specific goals include provide a minimum of two parish leadership education sessions in each deanery to help parishes operate within the diocesan and parish financial guidelines by August 1, 2017. Implement a communication strategy that will support and enhance our foundational ministries by December 31, 2016. Pope St. John Paul II, in his pontificate, was very clear about using modern technology in proclaiming the gospel. The technological age provides a new pathway to intensify communion and to render more penetrating the proclamation of his word. As the church, we must be more creative in the work of evangelization and catechesis using the technology available to assist us in proclaiming the gospel and carrying out the mission of the church. Social Services and Outreach I begin with a scripture passage from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 37 to 40. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. Catholic social teaching is a central and essential element of our faith. It has long been important because fundamentally at the heart of it is the life and dignity of the human person. This is the starting point. Every human being is created in the image and likeness of God and has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Every person from the moment of conception to natural death has inherent dignity and a right to life consistent with that dignity and therefore is worthy of respect as a member of the human family. Our human dignity comes from God and Him alone, not from a human quality or some accomplishment. One of the primary documents of the Second Vatican Council concerning Catholic social teaching is the Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World, Gaudium et Spes. Fifty years after its publication, it remains recommended reading for all Catholics. Gaudium et Spes covers many different social concerns and the ways in which all Christians are called to respond to those needs. It asserts the fundamental dignity of each human being and affirms the Church's solidarity both with those who suffer and with those who accompany them. I quote, The joys and the hopes the griefs and the anxieties of the people of this age, especially those who are poor or in any way afflicted, these are the joys and hopes, the griefs and anxieties of the followers of Christ. End of quote. Pope Benedict declared, quote, Charity is at the heart of the Church's social doctrine. Every responsibility and every commitment spelt out by that doctrine is derived from charity, which according to the teaching of Jesus, is the synthesis of the entire law. 
It gives real substance to the personal relationship with God and with neighbor. It is the principle not only of micro-relationships, with friends, with family members, or within small groups, but also macro-relationships, social, economic, and political ones. For the Church, instructed by the Gospel, charity is everything because, as St. John teaches, and as I recalled in my first encyclical letter, God is love, Deus caritas est, everything has its origin in God's love, everything is shaped by it, and everything is directed towards it. Love is God's greatest gift to humanity. It is His promise and our hope. End of quote. Our commitment to living this life of charity in the Church's social doctrine and mission must be rooted in and strengthened by our spiritual lives. We can only love one another because we have been first loved by God. A life lived in relationship with God brings us deeper into His love and sends us into the world to shape it by our love. As St. John writes, quote, We have come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever remains in love remains in God and God in Him. In this is love brought to perfection among us, that we have confidence on the day of judgment, because as He is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and so one who fears is not yet perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For whoever does not love a brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. End of quote. Currently, the work of social justice and peace is carried out by a very dedicated, faithful disciples who have diligently coordinated, promoted, and carried out the work of social justice in the Diocese of Rapid City. The Social Justice Commission's agenda begins with promoting respect for all human life, from conception to natural death. It also includes a broad index of issues, including advocacy on behalf of the poor for economic justice, the promotion of the common good in society and the world, and good stewardship of God's creation. The Commission will develop a hands-on approach for communicating social justice issues to the Catholic laity of the diocese. It will encourage the discussion of critical public issues so as to raise the consciousness of the Catholic community. The focus of activities will include a public information and education effort, a public policy effort directed at promoting and protecting the dignity of human life, and pastoral spiritual care for all people. The Commission has done a tremendous job under past and present leadership. The work of this Commission has grown over the years, yet there remains a need for further expansion of the scope of their ministry. In the growing complexity of the cultural issues of today, there is a pressing need to establish a diocesan office of social justice with paid staff and unpaid disciples to carry on this important work. In our call to respect and protect the life and dignity of every human person, we are also called to provide outreach to the Latino members of our community who comprise up to 10% of our Catholic population. The church should be a place where they feel welcomed, valued, and respected. To this end, we will be establishing a task force to assess the needs of the Hispanic community. In the area of social services and outreach, the bishop, with the assistance of his chancery staff and members of the Social Justice Commission, will be responsible for creating the action plan for each of the goals in this area. Specific goals include these. 
Establish a diocesan office dedicated to the work of social justice by July 1, 2017. Establish a task force to make the needs of the Hispanic community and make recommendations to the bishop by January 1, 2017. The Gospel of Jesus Christ clearly lays out the path for all of us in regard to social justice ministry. It is clearly at the heart of being a Christian, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Pope Francis has been very clear about what that looks like. He has not only preached the message, but his example has been very clear as well. His examples of love for those who suffer, for the less fortunate, for those who have been marginalized, has been on display for the whole world to see, because as St. Francis, his namesake, has said, we are called to preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Pope Francis clearly tells us in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, that the church is always in the state of mission. The call to missionary activity, which includes social justice ministry, means that, quote, each Christian and every community must discern the path that the Lord points out, but all of us are asked to obey his call to go forth from our own comfort zones in order to reach all the peripheries in need of the light of the gospel, end of quote. Vocations and Evangelization I begin with a quote from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Evangelization has always been addressed in depth throughout the many parts of this document in different ways. To summarize, it is clear that all who have been baptized and confirmed have a role to play in the work of evangelization. In receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, we also receive a commissioning from Jesus Christ to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the Christian vocation, the call of a disciple. Though each of us has our own personal vocation, none of us hears or answers our call in isolation. Because we are members of the one body of Christ, all the members work together to form that perfect body in Christ. In sharing our vocation story with others, we help them to seek God's call in their own lives. By encouraging others to seek their own vocation, we help them to look seriously at God's unique plan for their lives. Vocations are communicated, discerned, and accepted, and then lived out within a community. In other words, they are born in a community of faith and find their completion in a community of faith, which is a community of disciples. In dioceses where vocations are flourishing, there resides a culture that has created an environment for young men and women to view the priesthood and religious life as a viable way of life and to view sacramental marriage as a vocation centered in Christ. Such an environment has, in some way, awakened the hearts of these young people at the heart of this environment is relational ministry, disciples engaged in relationship with others where faith, hope, and love are shared in some way. Relational ministry fosters an openness to speak about vocations and give guidance in the area of discernment. This allows a person to respond freely. Vocations are ultimately discovered, not chosen, as one enters freely into a relationship with Christ. Pope Francis, in an address to seminarians and novices, shared, Quote, Becoming a priest or a man or woman religious is not primarily our own decision. Rather, it is the response to a call and to a call of love. End of quote. 
Every vocation, priesthood, religious life, single life, or sacramental marriage is about love. It consists of offering oneself as gifts directed toward others. Promoting vocations is the responsibility of all of us. It must involve everyone. Even the Code of Canon Law clearly speaks of this. The duty of fostering vocation rests with the entire Christian community so that the needs of the sacred ministry and the universal church are provided for sufficiently. This duty especially binds Christian families, educators, and in a special way priests, particularly pastors. Diocesan bishops, who most especially are to be concerned for promoting vocations, are to teach the people entrusted to them of the importance of the sacred ministry and of the need for ministers in the church, and are to encourage and support endeavors to foster vocations, especially by means of projects established for that purpose. It is imperative for vocations to be a focus of the Diocese of Rapid City. There have been some great initiatives by the Office of Vocations to raise awareness and to engage parishes in this important ministry. The mission statement for the Office of Vocations is this, to awaken and invite all to hear the voice of God, to discern how to follow, and to respond with courage and trust. This must primarily happen in the family, the domestic church, and within the parish community. Families and local parish communities should be the seedbeds for priestly and religious vocations. There are no shortage of vocations to the priesthood. They are in your families and parish communities. You have not called them forth. The only shortage is that of vocational discernment. If more Catholics were to intentionally engage the Lord in a conversation about what his plan for their life might be, in other words, seek out their personal vocation, many would discover a call to the priesthood of religious life. This is precisely why families and parish communities must be engaged in the work of vocations. Pope Benedict encourages all of us, quote, It is my hope that the local churches and all the various groups within them will become places where vocations are carefully discerned and their authenticity tested, places where young men and women are offered wise and strong spiritual direction. In this way, the Christian community itself becomes a manifestation of the law of God in which every calling is contained. End of quote. For this foundational ministry, two areas of importance were identified. The first focus of the Office of Vocations will be to find ways to develop vocation ministry in parishes. In that way, a culture of vocations can be established in each parish, helping the local faith community become a fruitful environment in which men and women are encouraged to be open to God's call and to discern a vocation to priesthood or religious life. The second focus will be to provide training for people in the local parish communities to become evangelizers in answer to their baptismal call. In the area of vocations and evangelization, the director of vocations will be responsible for creating the action plan for each of the goals in this area. These are the specific goals. Each parish or parish grouping will form a vocations committee to encourage and promote a culture of vocations by January 1, 2017. Train and form 10 to 15 people from each parish or parish grouping in relational ministry and sharing the joy of the gospel of Christ through witness and testimony by January 1, 2017. In the end, the work of vocations is about Jesus Christ and about making disciples, about each of us seeking his plan for our lives and following his plans, not necessarily our own. Jesus invites us to come and see, and leaving the comforts of our lives, stepping out in faith and trust, 
we will discover the true path that God has created for each one of us. Then we will understand and accept that saying yes to what we discover is the only way to true fulfillment in life. The following are six reflection questions. 1. How has my life been touched by each of the foundational ministries? 2. How do I prepare myself for and enter into worship and the celebration of the sacraments? 3. How do I encounter Christ and seek to know Him more fully? 4. How do I support the bishop, the clergy, and parish staff in their ministry? 5. How do I respect the life and dignity of the human person and extend the hand of Christ to the most vulnerable? 6. How do I witness the gospel in my life and encourage others to say yes to God's call?